The greatest gift you can give anybody these days is time. Either time that you spend with them or time for them to spend by themselves for those who are feeling a little bit overstretched and overworked. There's a phrase that I've come across recently that is internet speak for moments when we feel that we uh, just don't have the time that we need to give. I saw it on a, uh, a website that was giving a three sentence summary of the much longer article that was below and they described their summary in this way. They called it the TLDR, which is internet speak for too long, didn't read. It's the bullet points, the summary, the quick fix for those who feel like they haven't had the time to really go in depth on what they need to know. Our new sermon series, TLDR, is not here to save you time from reading the Bible, but it is here to give you an overview of an entire book of the Bible in one sermon, not so that you can avoid ever reading that book again, but so that maybe you'll be inspired, knowing a little bit about it, to go and read more. That's my hope for this week, is that you will be inspired to go and read through the entire book of Matthew, at which we are looking today. I hope that you'll discover that it actually doesn't take as long to read a book of the Bible as you thought that it might. And I hope that as you read and you get the full picture of what's going on, you'll discover new things, maybe even in stories that you've heard so often that you didn't even think you needed to read them anymore. Through each of the next few weeks, we'll be looking at each of the Gospels so that we can kind of live in the world of the Gospel writers and understand all the different ways in which they saw the one Lord and Savior who united them together and unites us in worship. Today's scripture, to, to summarize the Gospel of Matthew, comes from Matthew chapter 5, and we'll pick it up in verse 17. Do not think, Jesus said, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I overexplain things. I know that this is not news to most of you, and please know that it is not news to me either. Even so, it seems I'm powerless to stop it. For example, right now, I'm on the verge of telling you how I overexplained something in a recent pastoral conversation, but before I tell you about that conversation, I need to explain to you that I am telling the story with permission and I'm keeping it anonymous, and if I ever had a conversation like this with you, I would ask your permission before telling it, and I wouldn't use your name. And I would never tell any story unless it made you look like a hero or made me look like a dunce, which is what today's story does. I need you to know all that. Last week, someone reached out to me, and they asked if we could talk about prayer. This person told me how once their prayer life had been like this electric current in their life. It powered everything they did. 
But more recently, it felt as though the power was cut off and they'd gradually gotten used to doing life without prayer. They were kind of like that person who lives in a high ceilinged house with blown out bulbs that they just never quite get around to replacing. And as this person told the story to me, I was so deeply moved by how much they wanted to want to pray. And I felt like God had been teaching me recently something about prayer just so that I could share it in this conversation, in this particular moment. And so I started telling this person who was talking to me about another person who had taught me about this particular kind of prayer. And soon not only was I sharing my own little bit of my testimony, but I was sharing the testimony of this third person. And before I knew it, I was five minutes in and I hadn't actually gotten to talking about prayer itself. I was just telling the story of how I learned to pray. I had the best of intentions. I wanted the person that I was talking to, to to know that they weren't alone. I didn't want that person to feel dumb because they hadn't thought about prayer in this particular way. I wanted them to understand that that I learned about it from someone else, just as they were learning in this moment. And, And above all, I wanted this person to know I wasn't just making this stuff up, that it came from somewhere. My name is Michael, and I'm an over explainer. And if I'm really honest, I'm skeptical of people who aren't because stories build trust and details build trust. And for example, I don't believe there's going to be denominations in heaven. I don't believe that we are going to be clarifying the details of doctrine when we are in heaven. But at the same time, whenever somebody tells me that their church here on earth is just about Jesus, I always want to ask, and who decided which parts are just Jesus? Did you decide yesterday or are you simply parroting words that were selected for you by some theologian whose name you never even bothered to learn? I don't expect that kind of story from everyone, but I do expect it of church leaders. Don't just tell me what you believe. Tell me where those beliefs come from. Give me the whole story. This makes me a little awkward in some conversations. I'm kind of a tough conversationalist at times, but it also makes it easy for me to love the gospel of Matthew because Matthew loves to tell the whole story. Matthew wants us to know Jesus and Matthew wants us to know where Jesus comes from. And out of all the great, the gospel writers, Matthew is the one that we know as the historian Because no other gospel has as many Old Testament quotes as Matthew. The very first words of the gospel of Matthew are Biblos Genesis Iesus, the book of Genesis of Jesus. Matthew is saying if you really want to get this story, it'll help if you go back and read the prequel. If you go back and read Genesis. If you think that's a lot for Matthew to pack into just three words, you should check out the next 16 verses of chapter one of Matthew. It's all just the genealogy of Jesus. That is almost too much detail and too much explanation even for me. No one starts a story with a genealogy, but Matthew devotes almost the entire first chapter of his gospel to listing the names of 31 men and women each one of them standing in for another story that you might want to know if you want to understand what's going on. And then there's the passage that we read today, which comes from the Sermon on the Mount. 
I bet some of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount, but I wonder if you know the story of the Sermon on the Mount. Because to read Matthew tell it, you can't fully grasp this sermon unless you also know the story of Moses. Moses, you might remember, climbed Mount Sinai to give the Jewish people the law of God. And now, Matthew says, here comes Jesus like a new Moses, gathering people to hear God's word as Jesus speaks from a mountain. Jesus, who was rescued from a baby-killing king, just like Moses. Matthew is the only one who tells us that story. Matthew describes Jesus by quoting Isaiah, who was describing Moses when he said, Out of Egypt I have called my son. And when Moses spoke to the people at Mount Sinai, he started off with Ten Commandments straight from God. When Jesus speaks for God from the mountain, he begins with eight blessings. Maybe you've heard of them. We call them the Beatitudes. And there were some in the crowd that day who wondered, who does Jesus think that he is? Talking like a new Moses. Did he just make this stuff up? That's what's going on immediately before the moment that we read here in worship where Jesus announces what we heard a little earlier. And he says, quote, I have come to abolish the law. I have not come. Excuse me. Let me get this right because it's important. I quote Jesus right. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, Jesus says, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus thinks it's important for us to know that he's not abandoning everything that came before, but he's not just going to repeat it either. Instead, Jesus came to write the next chapter in God's story. You know, every good story has a beginning and a middle and an end, and it doesn't work if you drop any one of those three. A story starts in one place and it ends up in another. And in the best stories, every sentence in between builds on the one that came before. If you just repeat what came before, then your story is stuck. But if you ignore everything that came before, your story will soon be nonsense. Every movement in a story has to fulfill what came before it. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all the long story of how God was drawing close to humanity. A story that began in Genesis with the promises that God made to all humanity. And when humanity rebelled and broke faith with God, God made a new promise to one nation within that humanity, the nation of Israel. And when that nation turned away, God made a promise to the royal family within that nation. And when the kings rebelled, God drew even closer by becoming God with us, Emmanuel. That's the name that Matthew gives to Jesus in his first chapter, the title God with us. He's saying every promise and every word and every law that came before was pointing to Jesus and every sentence was telling the story of how God would save us. Matthew reminds us that salvation is a story. 
years ago, my wife uh, and I were in Greenville, South Carolina, and Jennifer was uh, at an ice cream shop. And it was one of our favorite places in one of our favorite cities in the whole wide world. She's standing there in line waiting to order her two scoops and sprinkles when man behind her strikes up a friendly conversation in the way that many Southerners will often do. He said, ma'am, are you saved? It was a little odd as icebreakers go, but Jennifer is a much better conversationalist than I am. So she caught on quickly and she explained to the man that she loves Jesus and trusts him as Lord and lives to follow him. But the stranger wouldn't take yes for an answer. So Jen explained that not only does she love Jesus, but in fact, she worked in a church and her husband was a Methodist pastor. And really, honestly, no, no fooling and no matter what you've heard about those Methodists, we believe that we're all sinners and need forgiveness and that we believe in salvation. But the more she said of that, the more it became clear that this stranger was not particularly concerned with all that. He wanted to hear about a particular set of actions that she had taken in just the right order. He wanted to hear that at some point in her life, she had prayed a particular prayer and that she had followed through with a particular set of action items in the right kind of church. And if she had not, then he wanted to pull her through each step one after another, just as easy as an automatic car wash. He cared more about his system than her story. But salvation is always a story. It is always the story of God's action and God's faithfulness and how God writes new chapters as we become what we could never be without God. And the story every Christian has to tell is not only that we have been saved, but we are being saved. And thanks be to God, God is going to save us tomorrow too. God's work isn't finished in my life, in my heart, and God isn't done with you either. It's all part of the story that God has been telling from the very beginning. And we've been adopted into the story that the Jewish people knew first. The story that the one true God had been telling through them for thousands of years, through their kings, through the promise of a Messiah. None of us could have figured all this out on our own. Every one of us has heard it from somebody who came before. And every time we baptize someone into this story, we are promising that they are going to hear that story from us. And when we realize that our own salvation belongs to the epic story of God that is still being told, then we can find a few lessons in Matthew to help us tell our story more honestly. First off, Matthew reminds us that every story is told in retrospect. None of us fully understands the story when we're in the middle of it. And we can't presume to know whom God favors or what God is doing here in the moment. We'll only know that with the gift of hindsight. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus describes the church as a field that has weeds and wheat planted right alongside each other. They look identical and God is leaving both in the field to grow until the end. And also in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus cautions us not to predict God's favor by the way things seem to be going now. Jesus tells us in a sermon in Matthew that many of the people today who are struggling, who are suffering, who are persecuted, who are impoverished, who are oppressed, they are actually the blessed ones in God's eyes. When Matthew opens with the genealogy of Jesus, He's telling the stories of people who had no idea 
that their own lives were preparing the way for the Son of God. In her own lifetime, no one would have guessed that Rahab, the foreign prostitute of Jericho, would one day have her name written in the family tree of the Messiah. When Ruth, the Moabite widow, immigrated to Israel to care for Naomi, no one suspected that she would be the only ancestor of Jesus to get their own book in the Bible. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see that the Pharisees, the people who thought that they knew the most, they were the ones who most consistently missed the meaning of what was going on in front of them. And that's good for us to remember in a moment when none of us is quite sure how to give purpose or meaning to what's going on around us. We'll only know the full story in retrospect. So do not despair. And do not boast about wherever you might be right now. Consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, Jesus tells us in Matthew. They don't bother predicting or worrying what tomorrow might mean. We don't even know what today means. We can only tell the story in retrospect. And the second lesson we can take from Matthew is that the story is still being written. The Jewish people love to tell the story of how God gave them the Sabbath as a day of rest a long time ago. And then Jesus comes and showed them and shows us that the Sabbath is not simply a day of rest, but it's a day to work for the kingdom. Jesus fulfilled the law of the Sabbath as he promised to fulfill the law here in our reading. He fulfilled the Sabbath not by napping extra long, but by making it a day of healing and forgiving and blessing. And a lot of people came after Jesus for that. But the story was still being written. The story is still being written today because Matthew's gospel ends by giving us a command to fulfill. Jesus' final words in Matthew are, go and make disciples and tell them everything I have told you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's still writing the story. And our best chance of understanding where he will take us next is to trace the trajectory of where Christ has been and where Jesus came from. And that's Matthew in a nutshell. It's the story of how every true story points to Jesus. Out of all the gospels, Matthew has the deepest roots in the Jewish story. It's the story of promises kept and laws fulfilled and every detail was given so that we could know more about where Jesus comes from and so that you could place a little bit more trust in the one who wrote your name into the narrative. And as you come to trust in every word that God has given, may you discover that not a single moment, not even a single letter of your story is beyond the redemption of the God who saves. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.